that song make any sense to you? <laughs> Not to me, right? Um, it's some of the best musicians in the world in a hall that's designed for you to enjoy the musical experience. But it sounds like chaos, because at that moment in time, each one is just doing their own thing. They're just focused on themselves and their instruments. Now, we know, especially if you've played in an orchestra or something, they're tuning up, right? They're preparing to do something that's beautiful. But at that moment in time, when they're just being themselves, doing their thing, chaotic, not musical, not inviting, not interesting at all. Maybe you've had a similar experience at work or, or at school. You've been assigned to a project, and everybody on the project is just doing their own thing. They're just pretty happy to do what they want to do and don't really care how it interacts with the other people. It doesn't work out very well, does it? My, this happened in our family one time when my oldest daughter was in sixth grade uh, at the particular school they were at. It was an international school. There were people from all over the world, uh, which was pretty exciting. But uh, they assigned them this project. And they said, I want you to learn to work in teams. And so they put this team together. And my daughter is with these two uh, other young boys. And they were supposed to solve some sort of problem and then do a presentation at the end of the year to all the parents. So all the parents come and we're all sitting there. And so this team comes up to do their presentation. And my daughter... And one of the boys just clashed on everything. And basically their presentation was my daughter standing over here saying what she thought they had done. And the other boy standing over here saying what he thought they had done. And this poor boy in the middle, his name was David. He was from Holland. was just staring at the parents going, what am I supposed to do? Really confusing, right? Um, that happened to a church one time. And we know about that from the Bible. We're going to talk about that today as we continue our series on the power of two, three, and four, that we grow together, not as individuals. So as Desi said, my name is Dan. I would like to welcome you to Skyline today, add my welcome to that of the band, particularly if you're here for the first time today. I hope that in your experience with us, you see that we're just a group of people trying to build our lives on God's grace and on God's love. Uh, I encourage you to come and talk to me afterwards. I'll be in the back, depending on the temperature, either in the foyer or outside, and uh, you can tell me what brought you here. Or if you don't have time for that, just talk to the person next to you for a little bit. Find out what brought them here and uh, make that connection. Uh, spring is great, right? It should be warm by the end of this service. It'll be a good time to be outside. It's a sign to us that Easter is coming. And just a few weeks from now, it's a time when uh, we celebrate as followers of Jesus, we celebrate his resurrection, kind of the sign that he has the power to make things different in our lives. And uh, the whole world is aware of that. They're not all celebrating it, but they're all aware of it with some, uh, in some sense. And so it's a great opportunity to invite people to come and hear from the Bible the truth about Jesus. So if you get a chance to do that, I'd encourage you, uh, invite a friend, a neighbor, a family member that uh, you think would enjoy that opportunity as well and uh, be able to come with you and hear about Jesus here at this place. Because becoming a follower of Jesus is an amazing thing. It's literally a miracle. Right? Our, our lives are changed by the intervention of God. And this personal, very personal encounter between, between you and Jesus, right, where he comes and he rescues you from your hurts and your hang-ups and your habits, the things that you've done that separate you from other people, that separate you from God. He rescues you from that, 
and gives you in exchange his perfection so that God sees you as perfect, as everything he ever dreamed you would be. But he does more than that, as if that wasn't enough already. He does more than that. He puts you in a family, what the Bible calls the body of Christ. He puts you into this family of brothers and sisters who are also followers of Jesus. And that family is expressed locally through what we call a church, a group like this. And it might be easy to think, and some people do think, that because the relationship with Jesus begins in this very personal way, this one-on-one thing, that that's really all they need. Sometimes you'll even hear people say that they, they love Jesus, but they don't love the church. That they have this relationship with Jesus, but it's just kind of them and Jesus. They're off, they're off on their own, um, kind of working with Jesus. We'll see what the Bible has to say about that today. We're going to go back to one of the earliest churches. It's a church in the city of Corinth. Uh, This church was founded uh, by people about 20 years after Jesus was killed and rose from the dead. So pretty early. A lot of the uh, people who came and talked to people in Corinth about Jesus were people who had uh, either met Jesus uh, personally while he was still walking on this earth um, or knew people who had. So, So really close connections to who Jesus was. Corinth is an interesting city. It's a wealthy city. It's a trade city, uh, like New York, a city that draws people from all over. It's all over the Mediterranean area, Africa, Middle East, Europe. People would come uh, to live in Corinth to make wealth, Uh, some of them making wealth for themselves. And so you had these really uh, wealthy families, and they built uh, massive temples and other buildings that you can still see uh, today if you go to Corinth. Uh, Other people were brought there to make wealth for others. So at the whole other extreme, you had people that were slaves, people in poverty. Uh, So this big ethnic mix, a big social economic mix, a big trade city. So you had people like that. And then a group of these people from all these different backgrounds had, had this personal encounter with Jesus. And they had come to trust him and follow him and started meeting together, gathering together as a church. They didn't really know what to do. They did have what we call today the Old Testament. So they had some writings that were talking about Jesus to come. And they had kind of verbal instruction from people maybe that had learned from Jesus or learned from another one of Jesus' followers. And they had themselves. And uh, by all indications, it was sort of a chaotic and confusing church, kind of like my daughter and her, her classmates. People were doing their own thing, going their own direction, Um, and just being really, really confused about it. But there was something they did that was a really good choice uh, that we're very happy about even today, 2,000 years later. They decided, we have all these questions. We don't really know how to be a family. And we're not sure if what we're doing is the most effective thing. So they wrote this letter to Paul. And they said, hey, Paul, uh, we have a lot of questions. And they wrote all these questions down. And Paul wrote back to them. And we still have what he wrote back preserved for us today in the book of the Bible that we call 1 Corinthians. So we're going to uh, take a look particularly at chapter 12 and part of chapter 13 um, and see how Paul answered this question of how are we supposed to interact with each other in the church? Is this personal relationship that we have with God uh, really the primary thing or how, how how does that show? I mean, we can guess from the question that there was competition in the church in Corinth. 
like my daughter and her classmate, right? That everybody wanted to yeah, speak first, sing the loudest, uh, bake the breast brownies or whatever. Right? Whatever they were doing, they wanted to be the best. They wanted to be known for it. They wanted to be very visible. Um, and that's not what the power of 2, 3, and 4 is all about, really. So we're, we're going to dig into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 together and, uh, and see what we can take from that to apply today to our own church and to, to our own lives. So um, over the, the course of the next half hour or so, I'm actually going to read the whole chapter to you. Um, not all of it is on the screen, so I'll just tell you that in advance. Uh, you can either follow along if you have uh, you know, a Bible or internet accessibility on your device, uh, but the key passages will be, will be behind me on the screen. And so in first, uh, first Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 begins, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed, or I do not want you to be ignorant. So the gifts of the Spirit is an interesting phrase. It's a very church language, right? It's not... It's not something you find people talking about uh, at work or walking on the streets, not often in the newspaper. Um, so I need to define that for you. And what this is, is the empowering and encouraging from God to make an impact on the lives of those around you. So it can take a lot of forms. There are uh, lists in the Bible of different gifts uh, that fit this category. One of those lists is here in 1 Corinthians 12, but it's not the only one. You can find it in Ephesians and in Romans and in Hebrews. You can find, uh, find lists of things that we can do by God's power to impact the lives of people around us. And some of the gifts may look like a talent or a skill. It may come across to you and say, oh, that person's really talented in this area, or this person has great skill in this area. But it's not really a talent or a skill. Because through God's providence, through his creative power, now, all human beings can be born with talent. Um, March Madness right now, right? So there are some human beings that are born with the ability to jump really high and to run really fast and to shoot very accurately. I am not one of those people, but it's amazing to watch them, right? They have talent. Um, and all human beings are born with the ability to gain skills. We can learn things. We can get better at things. We can get experience at things. We can have a skill. But a gift is something different than that. That it is this, this thing that comes from God so that we can impact uh, the people around us. And uh, I'll add one more piece of that, which is, which is my opinion. I know that there are some uh, people who read the Bible and don't agree with me on this topic. So you know, I'll sort of step away from what the Bible says. This is Dan's opinion. You can take that for what it's worth. Um, I don't think God gives you one of these gifts when you become a follower of Jesus. And that's what you've got for the rest of your life. I think he gives gifts that are necessary for the church to grow, for his mission to be fulfilled in this place. So your own gift, what you're using at a particular point in time, may change as, um, as your time with Jesus goes on. So uh, I, that's my opinion, right? So uh, take that part for, for what it's worth. But this idea that the gifts are the empowering and the encouragement from God to impact the lives of the people around you. So we'll, we'll continue in 1 Corinthians uh, verse 4 says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working or impact, right? But in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 
So a couple of things that we see here. One that you see, we experience God in what we call his trinity. So God the Spirit, who comes to us when we become a follower of Jesus, the Lord Jesus himself, and then God the Father. So we have this, we have this all parts of God are, are reflected here in what he's doing in the church, right? The Spirit distributes them. We're serving the same Lord. God is working um, through the same way. And to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So these are not, these are not rewards. These are not evidence that you're special. Right? These, aren't, these aren't things that come to me so that my personal relationship with Jesus will get better. These are things that come to me for the common good so that I can have an impact on the rest of the church. So this leads us to, to think a couple of things. First, uh, am I positioning myself so that people can impact my life? If they've been given gifts for the common good, then I want to have that gift impacting on me. That will be that will be good for me. So where are you positioning yourself? Are you putting yourself into a life group? Are you putting yourself into a ministry team? Are you putting yourself next to people who have gifts that you need to experience for the common good? And the, the second thing is, in your own prayer life, in your own time with God, I'll encourage you, don't, don't be asking him or don't be seeking out, what is my gift? Instead, ask the question, what needs done? How, how can I impact my neighbor? How can I impact um, my brother or sister in Christ? What needs done? Now, last week when Pastor Chris was talking, he, uh, he quoted from James chapter 4. It says, you, you ask, but you do not receive because you ask for your own pleasure. And I think that can apply to this area of spiritual gifts. If, if I'm going to God saying, I really want this gift because I think it will make me special or it will make my experience with you stronger, be careful with that. Right? The gifts are given for the common good. Continuing back in, in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. So these are some of the gifts uh, that were being experienced and being used in that Corinthian church. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. To still another, the interpretation of tongues. A lot of different things happening in Corinth. All these, verse 11, are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he, God, distributes them to each one just as he determines. He distributes the gifts as he determines. He knows what the church needs. He knows what you need to receive from the church. He knows when the church needs it. So again, in your interaction with God about this, I would encourage you not to ask, can I have this particular gift? But rather ask, what would you have me do? and then ask for the power and the encouragement to do that thing. God gives them as he determines what's needed at that point in time. Continuing on, um, I'm in verse 12. Now, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. 
Um, so you recall I talked about Corinth being a place where there's people of all kinds of different backgrounds, and so Paul's reminding them of that. He said, you came from different religious backgrounds, Jews and Gentiles. You came from different economic backgrounds, slave and free. Implicit in there is also you came, some of you moved here, some of you were born here. Right? You came from all these different backgrounds, but when we encounter Christ, we're all kind of in the same place, far from God, unable to reconcile ourselves with God, unable to keep our promises to the people around us, unable to live in a way that is righteous, another kind of church word, unable to live in a way that is good for the people around us, instead living in ways that is harmful for the people around us. We're all in the same boat there. And Jesus came and rescued us from that and then baptized us, gave us his spirit. So because we're all common in that, we're all common in the body. And so he uses this image of a physical body. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. So if a follower of Christ, I've trusted Jesus, I've put my dependence on him, he's given me his spirit, and I say, I don't need the church. I'm going to walk away from the church. I don't cease being part of the body. I've probably damaged myself. I'm not going to grow in that situation. And I've damaged the church that I left behind because they've been weakened by my loss. But I haven't ceased being part of the body. I'm still connected. The value that we talk about here in Skyline is to not walk alone. Don't walk alone. It's not a good place for you to be, and it's not good for us uh, if you walk alone. And so, so we, we create these structures, the life groups and the ministry teams, and, and kind of these practical tools to help you walk next to other believers. Be positioned in a way that the gifts God has given them can impact you, and that the gifts God has given you can impact them. Uh, stepping out, walking alone, not good for you, but it doesn't stop you from being part of the body. In fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. We're not to be clones. Right? We're not all like, pick anybody you want. Pastor Chris, let's all be exactly like Pastor Chris. One, we'd spend far too much time on farms. Right? We're all, but we're different people, and we have, we have these different gifts that have been brought so that together we create the body. We're not all individual, single bodies of Christ, but together uh, we are the body of Christ. Uh, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Right? So I'm not the most important. You're not the most important, right? We can't look at our brothers and sisters in Christ and say, you're not bringing anything to the table here, so I don't need you. In the business world, that happens. You look at your team, you look at your budget, and you go, well, don't need that guy. Right? That doesn't happen in the church. Each of us has been gifted in a way that we can positively impact the body of Christ. So we can't say that we don't need anybody. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. 
The parts that are unpresentable are treated with modesty, and our presentable parts need no special treatment. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, and its parts have equal concern for each other. So I also can't say I'm the least important. Right? I can say the body doesn't need me. I can't say that. God put each of us in there, prepared and positioned for us to have an impact on the body. It's not true to say that I'm the least important or that I have nothing to contribute. I do have something to contribute. I'm a vital part of the body. God has brought you here and placed you in this place because of the impact that you're going to have on the people around you. That's a pretty exciting thing. You might not even know what that impact is, right? In the last couple of weeks, we've had, uh, we've had a baptism, we've had some people come and join the church, uh, we've had some people talk about their marriages, right, just for the last three weeks. You're sitting there and you're seeing this happen, it's impacting you. And the person who's being baptized or the person who you know, recorded the thing about their marriage doesn't know the impact that it had, but it had an impact. So we have these, uh, these connections with each other that, that God creates. Um, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Each and every one has a part. Don't walk alone. Stay connected. Because we need you as part of the body. Continuing on. Um, God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, then prophets, then teachers, then miracles. Here's another similar list. Gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Implication, no. We're going to be different. Our experiences with God and the gifts that he gives us are going to be different. But all of those gifts are given for the building up of the church together. And then Paul says something really interesting to me in verse 31. He says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And I'm like, wait a minute, Paul. I just read 31 verses where you made a really big deal about the fact that we're all one body. I'm not more important. I'm not less important. I can't step out of the body. I'm, what, what are you talking about? What are the, the greater gifts? Was there some sort of ranking. There's like more spiritual people that get these special gifts and less spiritual people that don't get them. That doesn't sound right, Paul. Where, where are you taking us? Oh, he's taking us, interestingly, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is a chapter in the Bible that many of you know. Maybe you've been at a wedding where people read from 1 Corinthians 13. Maybe at your own wedding, you had them read from 1 Corinthians 13 because it's the great love chapter of the Bible which, this will sound harsh, has nothing to do with a wedding. Now, yes, there are principles about love in there which we hope apply between you and your spouse, right? But it was written in response to this Corinthian church saying, how are we supposed to interact with each other in the church? And Paul goes into this song about love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... And do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy 
and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains and I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, to martyrdom, it says in some translations, and do not have love, I gain nothing. See, this is the gift that comes from Jesus that is the greater gift, that is the most important gift that we love one another. And maybe in your own thinking, as we think today, maybe we're not putting in a hierarchy the same gifts at the Corinthian church, right? Maybe in the American culture, they think, oh, someone who gives away millions of dollars, they're pretty special, right? And if they give away millions of dollars to church things, we think, oh, they're a pretty special Christian. Um, or maybe we think, you know, the person who's really gifted in service, um, and there's a lot of things they do to make the building look good. We think, oh, those are, you know, they're really special. So I'm not sure it's exactly the same gifts that the Corinthian church liked. But any hierarchy you have, Paul says, is wrong. If you're emphasizing the gift without love, there's no value. There's no value to it. Loving one another is the greatest gift that Jesus gives us. The greatest gift. He said it himself uh, when he was talking to his disciples right before he was crucified. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Because that's how everybody will know that you're my followers. That's how everybody will know that Jesus is alive. That's how everybody will know that Jesus is powerful, that we love one another. And he empowers us and encourages us to do things that have a positive impact on the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So when you're, when you're praying for that empowerment and encouragement, when you're praying for the ability to make a difference, when you're praying for Jesus to make a difference in someone's life, pray for the gift of love. We grow as followers of Jesus by expressing our love through service to others. And we grow as followers of Jesus by allowing the love of other believers to come and impact our lives. And that's, that's really the power of two, three, and four in the church. That it's not just, it's not just me and Jesus. Oh, that's a fantastic thing. Right? That experience is a fantastic thing, me and Jesus. But it's not just that. It's that we love each other so much that the people who are still outside, who are still seeking, who are still hoping to find Jesus, they see through us that Jesus is alive. Let's pray. Our Lord God, thank you so much today for the gift of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the personal part of that, uh, that he reached down and loved me and saved me and changed me. But I thank you today for the corporate part of that, that he gave us a gift of a family, of brothers and sisters who can love each other in ways that we, we see you more clearly and we grow to be more like you and we grow to be closer to you. I pray today that we, in this particular church family, this expression of your, of your global family of God right here at Skyline, that we live that out, that on the foundation of your grace, we're able to love one another and love the people around us so they know that you're alive. 
Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.